morning, amen. God is so good. He is so good. And He is working things out behind the scenes that you may not even know about. I'm going to carry that theme out that uh, Brent said earlier. There's a scroll written over you. Long before the foundation of the world, He knew you, it says. So even before He formed you in your mother's womb, He already knew you and knew what He had called and destined you to do to send you here. And the enemy wants to do everything to try to come against that, to steal, kill, and destroy. But He has called you to a higher calling than that. He has called you into a purpose as a son, as a daughter in Him to rise up and take your place. So if you have your Bibles, Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3, beginning in uh, verse 23. We've been looking at um, what it looks like in that transition between covenants. And then when we looked at those covenants and how that is to transition us into sons. And we looked at the fact that as Abraham and, and those descendants looked like infants, right? And then we looked at the schoolmaster coming in like the law with Moses and those generations to come. But then Jesus and his covenant shows us that we are coming into sonship, to rise up, right? Because if you're a schoolboy, right, and the schoolmaster is still on you, then you have not come into your full status as a son. And so Jesus comes and he puts himself inside of us and us inside of him so that we become sons of God, children of God, so that we can rise up and then take our place in the land. And so Galatians chapter 3, beginning with verse 23, Paul tells us this, listen to this. So until the revelation of fate for salvation was released, the law was a jailer, holding us as prisoners under lock and key until the faith which was destined to be revealed would set us free. The law was our guardian until Christ came. Why? So that we would be saved by faith. But now that faith has come. We are no longer under the guardian of the law. Why? Because you're coming into a sonship. You're not coming in as a student anymore, right? So he says, you have all become true children of God by faith in Jesus Christ. Faith immersed you into Christ, and now you are covered and clothed with his life. Think about that. Like you were so much in him that he has now clothed you with himself. Right? The illustration that I like to use, if you're a cup of water and you're standing at the ocean, and they pour you as a cup of water into that ocean. That's you in Christ. Because you can't say, long, you can't say tomorrow, well, I don't want to be in this ocean anymore. Put me back in that cup of water. How are they going to distinguish which was you? They're not. That's how ingrained you are into Him. Then he says, and we no longer see each other in our former state, Jew or non-Jew, rich or poor, male or female, because we're all one through our union with Jesus Christ. So whenever I say son and I forget to say daughter, you're included. And if you belong to Christ, then you are now Abraham's child and a true what? Heir. 
of all his blessings because of the promise God made to Abraham. A true heir means that it is yours and that you get to have it. You get to walk in it. As a schoolboy, you're not a son and you're not a son yet. And so the heir, it's promised to you, but you're not walking in the, in the heir that has been given to you because you have not taken your place as a son. So when you come into a place of sonship, you get to now walk in the air that was yours, the promise that was yours. And so often we're still striving between grace and law. We've been looking at that. And we strive between those two aspects and when we're mixing those two, it's blasphemy. Right? I mean, I would dare say this. You got a lot of people right now concerned about, well, if I get the vaccine or not. Well, now we've moved on past that to now in some countries you can get this little chip looks like about the size of a grain of rice and you can get all your records put on it. That way when you just walk through, you can even go swipe your hand and, and, and pay. And we're saying, I don't want the mark of the beast. I want to take it to a new level today. Some of us are already walking with that mark and this is why. The mark of the beast is the Antichrist. And to say that... Christ has not come into me and made me a new creation, that is anti-Christ. For me to walk around and say, I'm still just a poor, pitiful sinner saved by grace, that is the antichrist. Then something started burning in me this week whenever I was going down the road and he, he just whispered that to me. And he said, quit worrying about what you're putting in your hand. You're already, most of us are already walking in it. Because we have that antichrist spirit that is still denied what has actually really happened to us. And we're not taking our place in the sonship whenever he says, I've already wrapped myself around you. You're hidden in Christ. And I've made you the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. The righteousness of God. Not... Put it on you like a coat where you can take it on and take it off. You have become that. That is who you are. That is your new nature. All things have passed away. Behold all things. How many things? All means all. All things have become brand new. So for me to still identify with, with my old nature is for me to say an antichrist. Because I am denying the fact of what Jesus Christ has done in my life. And that's why Galatians starts off in chapter 3, which we're in the end of chapter 3. But that's why he starts off at the beginning of chapter 3. And he says, who has bewitched you? Meaning for you to walk around and do and to say things like that is to say you're of the devil. Because you have been bewitched. He says no longer. You have to separate that. So last week we dove in and, and we just compared that to Ishmael and Isaac. And he says, you have to do the same thing that Sarah did. Said, get that little twerk out of here. Right? That little annoying little boy who was mocking my boy. Get him out, Abraham. I've had enough. I'm fed up with it. And you have to get to a place in your life where you're fed up with not living in Christ and you're playing games back and forth, law and grace, law and grace, going to church, going to church, and we're thinking we're doing something because we come to church or we're going to church or we're a member of a church or we're a member of a denomination and we are no, we're still not sons. We're playing games. And he's saying, I need you to come into that place where you're tired of that and you kick Ishmael out to camp. And you've got to come to a place to where I will be 
an heir. And that heir begins to walk as an heir. Where? In heaven one day? No. Right now. As David said, I believed I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. If it had not been for that, I would have given up already. And most of us are sitting on pews and have given up already because we do not believe that message. We just believe we got saved, we got our ticket stamped, and then we'll see you in the sweet by and by. Turn with me to Colossians 1. Colossians chapter 1, beginning with verse 15. Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. He is the divine portrait. Who is he talking about? He. Christ, the true likeness of the invisible God and the firstborn heir of all creation. For in him was created the universe of things, both in the heavenly realm and on the earth. All that is seen and all that is unseen. Every seat of power, every realm of government, every principality, every authority, it all exists through him and for his purpose. He existed before anything was made and now everything finds completion where? In Him. Everything finds its what? Completion. It's completion. You want to know what you're supposed to look like? Look at Christ. You want to know what you're supposed to look like in this world? And I'm not talking about get a little WWJD bracelet that we all wore back in the 90s or whenever that was. Yeah, it was 90s because I was in high school. And I had about four or five of them, you know, like every color. All the way down my arm, just walking around. Not looking like it, but I sure had that little scripture thing on there. WWJD. Not supposed to stay out till past 12, better be home. WWJD. Right? And we, we would ask that question, WWJD, what's going on? But we're still missing it. It wasn't what would Jesus do. He's in you. What did he show you to become? Not just talking about rules and regulations like WWJD, would Jesus be smoking a cigar right now? WWJD, would he be cussing right now? Wasn't talking about another list of rules. Like, would Jesus do that, then make that a rule? He wasn't saying make another set of rules. He was saying he becomes you and you become him. You are one. Does that make sense? So then he says, He existed before anything was made, and now everything finds completion in Him. He is the head of His body, which is the church, and since He is the beginning and the firstborn heir, He is the what? Firstborn heir. Are you heirs? Didn't we just read that you were heirs? So if you want to know what it, to walk in sonship and to walk as your heir has already been given to you, then you need to look at Christ. Right? We just read in Galatians chapter 3. You are those children and you are those heirs. He is the firstborn of those heirs. So therefore, you just walk as he walked. You just have what he has. Right? He is the firstborn heir in resurrection. He is the most exalted one holding first place in everything. For God is satisfied to have all his fullness dwelling in Christ. So if he is satisfied with all his fullness dwelling in Christ, what did he do? He put all his fullness in you. But yet we still walk around and say, I'm just a poor pitiful sinner. You see why I'm saying that's an antichrist spirit? Yeah. 
He don't want you to know who you are. The enemy would, he, he doesn't want you to know who you are. He doesn't want you to walk in that. He has no authority. It's been stripped. So what he has to do, he has to lie to you so you believe the lie. Which then empowers the liar. And he's trying to get you a place to where you see all his fullness dwelling in Christ and now Christ dwelling in you, all the fullness is in you. And by the blood of his cross, everything in heaven and earth is brought back to himself. Now look at this. Back to its original intent. You want to know what it was supposed to look like in the garden from that point on? Look at Christ. To its original intent. Restored to innocence again. Its original intent in the garden. We don't run around constantly saying, how many souls you say? We've got to win souls, brother. We've got to win souls, brother. We've got to win souls, brother. I'm not taking away from salvation. But you know that didn't even come become a common thread of we got to win souls, brother, until the 1800s with D.L. Moody. The first century church would have, would have been like, what are you talking about? You got to go win souls. The whole first century church, what we see is a desire to know him intimately and to bestow that on this earth. You know what we see in Genesis 1 and 2? To know him intimately and bestow it on this earth. And in that process, souls are radically changed. They are. But this is not a group of people selling fire insurance and say, we got another one. We got another one. And then we still see no change. But it's Christ in me, the hope of glory put in me. The sons of God will rise up and take their place. Go with me to Genesis chapter 11. Genesis chapter 11. This is the Passion Version. Uh, Genesis chapter 11. I'm beginning reading in verse 27. But my purpose that I want you to see today is the purpose of why we are to become sons. Why we don't just sit on the pew and wait one day for us to go to heaven. Like, what, are, what is our purpose here for? Right? And I want you to see why I'm so heavily strong over these past few weeks over covenant and then for you to see that you are a son. And I'm probably not going to get off this message for a long, long time. I've been on it for three years. <laughs> now, I just use different verses, but I still come back to the same central idea. Right? And so I want you to see the importance since the beginning of what you're supposed to do. He says, now you have come back in Christ to its original tent, to the way it was supposed to be from the very beginning. This is what it was supposed to be. So go to Genesis chapter 11 in verse 27. It says, here's the descendants of Terah. Now Terah was the father of Abram. So let's just rewind a little bit more. I'm not going to go back and read it, but just to recap. We're coming from this passage of Scripture. It's like the next passage of Scripture after the Tower of Babel, and they've all been scattered, right? And so at the scattering, you go back to three families. Noah, whenever the earth was flooded, Noah's, Noah's reestablishing the earth again, right? And so you have Noah with his three sons. And he has Ham, he has Shem, and Japheth, Right? And so up to this point, it's been going through the genealogy of the other two. Okay? 
But here we're going through the genealogy of Shem's descendants. And Shem's descendants all the way down it gets to Terah. And then the Bible just starts zooming in on this family. Right? So that's where we're picking up. Here are the descendants of Terah, who was the father of Abram, Nahor, and Haran. And Haran was the father of Lot. Haran preceded his father, Terah, in death in the land of his birth in the Chaldean city of Ur. The brothers Abram and Nahor were both married. Abram's wife was Sarai. Nahor married the daughter of his deceased brother, Haran. Her name was Milcah, and her sister was Iscah. Now Sarai was barren and childless. Terah took his son Abram, his grandson Lot, the son of Aran, and his daughter-in-law Sarai, his son Abram's wife, and they all departed together for the Chaldean city of Ur to go into the land of what? Canaan. But when they journeyed as far as Haran, they settled there, and Terah lived 205 years and died in Haran. Haran was the name of a son. And he doesn't move past... He can't get past what has happened to his son. You see that? He stops where? And dies. Where does he die? In the land of what? What? Haran. Haran right? He couldn't finish. He couldn't finish as a father. He couldn't get over what was lost in his son. And there's going to be some people that we try to reach or mean a lot to you. And they might walk away. And you're going to have to get over it. Or else you're going to find yourself staying there until you die. But He has called us to keep going. And to keep going further and take it to the... Because it was the next generation that had to keep going onward. It stopped at Him. So it had to be a whole other generation that had come along. You think about generations after generations that come along before you. Right? I grew up in a church where generation after generation my family was in. Right? And you think about the generation after generation that came after you. And now it's your turn. And are you going to leave it to the next generation or are you going to move onward? you got a choice to make. you got to pick up and you got to move forward. You see what I'm saying? You've got to keep moving. He's called us for a higher calling. Right? The promised land is not in heaven. The promised land is not, oh, one day I'm going to the promised land. I'm going to get to go to heaven finally. The promised land is not that. The promised land is you live in kingdom life now. Amen. That He has come to reside in you and you are the kingdom taking it everywhere you go, spreading it wherever you go. That's the promised land. But notice it says that they came to a place and they stopped there in Haran. And now and they were supposed to be going to where? Canaan. They were supposed to be going to Canaan. Now Yahweh said to Abram, leave it all behind. Your native land, your people, your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. Follow me. And I will make you into a great nation. That great nation means many, many generations. And I will exceedingly bless and prosper you. And I will make you famous Again, talking about generations after generations. So that you will be a tremendous source of blessing to others. I will bless all who bless you and curse all who curse you. And through, all, through you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. So Abram obeyed Yahweh and left and Lot went with him. Now listen to Dr. Simmons' footnotes about go yourself and, and leave all behind. He says, go yourself 
is a Hebrew play on words. The implication is that although Abram must undergo a traumatic departure from his native land, I'm just going to stop right there. Because this is personal to me. God asked me about three, three and a half years ago to leave everything I knew. I'm talking about I could go to the church that I just came from and I could do it blindfolded. Want to know why? Because I grew up there. I knew everybody. I knew their faults and I knew their good things. I knew who was against me and I knew who was for me. And I knew every aspect of every little detail of how that place operated. Everything. And God said, pick up your stuff and let's go. In a meeting one evening with a bunch of deacons when we're supposed to be talking about something else, he whispered to me. Did you see me turn around and look at you while we were praying a while ago? You know why I did that? Twice this week. Twice this week, I felt a hand on that same shoulder and I turned around and nobody was there. <clears throat> and God showed me some stuff this week through that. But we're not going to go there. I just thought that was cool. I'll go and I want to tell you before I forgot. But he said, leave everything that you've ever known. Everything. And when I left, I felt lost. I, ain't gonna lie. I felt lost because it was everything I knew. Like, I didn't have to think about what I was doing from week to week because it was so ingrained in me. I didn't have to think about it. I just did it. Like, that's, that was just me, right? And when he says leave everything, you know, I didn't know what to do with myself. Like, like what do I do now? Like, I don't know. Like, I did not know what to do. And you know what he did? He had to take me to a place of intimacy. To start learning that I was a son. So then he could raise me up as a son. And he says here, Dr. Simmons' footnote says, Abram must undergo a traumatic departure. It was traumatic for me. From his native land, he is actually traveling. Listen, listen to this. He is actually traveling not to leave from himself. He is actually traveling to find his more authentic self. Hmm. Go and find yourself is actually the meaning of the phrase used here. <laughs> Go and find yourself. So then Abram, 75 years old, he went and departed from Haran, the place of loss, remember, after his father died. This is the next generation. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, and all possessions the people had acquired in Haran. And they departed for the land of Canaan. And when they arrived in the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land and stopped at the sacred site of Shechem, famous for the great oak tree of Morah. Now Shechem means between the shoulders. And so in oak, we could go into a whole study on these oak. It's a cluster of oaks is what it is. And there was a place of legacy is what that's standing for. And so what he finds himself between the shoulders at Shechem is coming into a place of legacy on one side of him and government on the other side of him. Because we're talking about for generations, all generations to come will become under here. And so that's where he finds himself. Famous for the great oak tree of Morah and the time the Canaanites were also in the land. Then Yahweh appeared before Abram and said, This is the land I will personally deliver to your seed. Go back to the sentence before that. What was the land that he had promised to them? What's the name of the land? 
Canaan. So Abram erected an altar there to Yahweh who appeared before him from there, and he journeyed on toward the hill country east of Bethel, and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west of Ai on the east. And there he built another altar to Yahweh where he prayed and worshipped Yahweh. Then Abram journeyed from there by stages through the southern desert region. Now check this out. Verse 10. At that time a severe famine struck the land of Canaan. At what time? When Abram got there. Forcing Abram to travel down to Egypt and live there as a foreigner. He starts out in a land that is named for his loss, to leave it all behind, to come into his authentic self, right? And there he, he's in this place, he's between there, and when he gets to Canaan, the promised land, there's a famine. The what land? Promised land. Now when we think about Canaan, Canaan land is just inside. Well, we sing all them songs growing up, right about Canaan land, Canaan land, Canaan land. It's the land flowing with what? And they ain't flowing with milk and honey in verse 10. There's a famine. Now, every time God gives you a word, Jesus even mentions it himself, when a word is given to you, it's going to be tested by trial. It's going to be tested by fire. That word is going to come under persecution to test your faith. Are you going to believe the word or are you going to believe the circumstance? He gets there. It's not a land flowing with milk and honey, right? This is what we want to do. This is why I know this is what we want to do because I've been doing it my whole life. When God gives us a word and he says, go do this, and then we're like, yeah, boy, if he told us to do it, it's going to be awesome. Well, three and a half years ago, I thought it was death. He told me to do it, but I thought it was death. Like it felt that bad. And some of us are facing situations right now that he asked you and he called you to go do them, but then when you get there, it wasn't easy. Did you hear me? You got there and it wasn't easy. So what do we want to do? We want to turn around. What did Abram do? Well, I'm out of here. Gone. Goes to Egypt. Got to get out of here. There's a famine. Can't do it. You know why? Because Abram still don't know who he is yet. He's called him out and he starts that way to find his most authentic self. But yet whenever the word is tested, he turns around and retreats because he still is not operating as a son. He still won't operate in his old self, in his self that he does not know who he is yet. You see, Brent, earlier as he's saying that, there's a scroll written on your life. And most of the time we're walking out of a scroll that we have created by ourselves or by other people's voices instead of the voice of God. And so he calls Abram out to go find his most authentic self, his most true self. And when he leaves, he is Abram. But whenever he enters into the land of promise, he is Abraham. He has to change his name. Remember? And Abraham, he changes his name to Abraham so he doesn't just get a brand new name. He gets addendum to the end of his name, which is named after who is Ham? Where we just come from? What generations were we just coming from? From Noah, right? He had a son named who? Who? Ham, right? So I want you to get this picture. Noah gets off the boat, right? Got three sons and their ladies. 
about to start the reconstruction of the world because they're the only ones here. You got three sons. So how many of them are going, which, how much are they going to get per land? A third, a third, and a third, right? And they're going their own ways to what? Repopulate this thing. To reconstruct this thing, right? So you got every one of them have that. Noah gets off that boat, rightly so, after 40 after all those days and nights, just think about for a second, you just locked up with your family one. <laughs> but then you got all them animals and stank and everything else. And you know what the first thing he does, Cody? Plants a vineyard. What any man in his right mind would do because he can't go to the store and buy a beer, he got to plant it. <laughs> now he still got a ways to wait. But he gets that vineyard and you know what the Bible says he does? All that was a little too much, so he had a little too much. And he gets drunk. Then he finds out that Ham done something to him. They're not going to get into it all with little kids in this room, but there was something done enough to him that he violated Noah, his father. Till he turns around when he realizes and he sobers up and he realizes what has happened, he looks at Ham and he says, Curse be Canaan. One generation's compromise comes the next generation's captivity. Do you hear me? One generation's compromise comes the next generation's captivity. That's why we have to make sure we're operating in the generation that he's called us to be. It doesn't say curse be Ham. It says curse be Canaan. So before Canaan was a land, Canaan was a man. And he was cursed. And then it became a land that was cursed. And he sends Abraham to that cursed land to do what? Redeem the land. So he changed his name to Abraham. Because I'm sending you there to redeem the land. When he goes as Abram, he flees. When he stays as Abraham, it becomes the promised land. It wasn't easy. We see from generation to generation after that, even up to Moses, they're still trying to occupy the promised land. And there are even things after Moses. Joshua means leads the battle of Jericho. That's in Canaan. Okay? So you still got generation after generation. But he has to come into a place of sonship where he realizes this is what he's called me to do and this is to become the promised land. It wasn't that, oh, everything's going to be fine and dandy when I get there, right? And so many of us give up because we have opposition and we think, well, this must not be where God wanted me because it's not this promised land that he promised me. It's not the easy thing that he promised me. It's all supposed to be easy. It's all supposed to be easy. And he said, no. Like I'm taking you there because you are a son. And I've renamed you and I've called you out of darkness and I've placed you into my marvelous light so that you go to the land that is cursed so that it is redeemed from the curse. But we don't even know who we are so we can't redeem anything if we don't know who we are. We can't. So think about it. Isn't this set up in another familiar way? You got a third with Shem. You got a third with Japheth. And then you got a third with Ham. He's coming to redeem the one that is cursed. Right? He's coming to redeem the one that is cursed. 
Now heaven, before they even created it, this world, was set up. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And they set up a hierarchy in that order. A governmental system that was set up by three archangels. Lucifer. Gabriel. And Michael. A third were messengers. A third were warriors. And a third were worshipers. And when he says, I saw Satan fall like lightning and a third of heaven with him, that would have been the third that would have been under his legion that would have been the worshipers falling. And what does he do in the garden? He places two worshipers in the garden to say, I want to redeem the curse of this land by planting two intimate allies with me right here in this place. Two intimate beings who are going to worship and in worship and intimacy, we're going to spread that all over the earth. You see, we, that is our first call, is to worship and intimacy. Not just up here singing. Like this is just a form of worship. Worship, you want to get down to what really worship is, that's where you spend your time, your money, your energy, your resources. That's what you want to know if you really want to know what you're worshiping. And he wants to restore the worshipers. You see, it's a lot easier for us as believers... It's a lot easier for us as believers to give a message to somebody, send a message to somebody. It's a lot easier for us to want a war and to fight for a cause. But it's a lot harder to get alone by yourself and get intimate. You know why? Because the enemy knows. The enemy knows what he wants to restore in the earth. We don't know who we are. We don't know who we are. So Abram, he's not just getting away from all he knew. It says, Dr. Simmons says, he is coming into his real self. He is coming into Abraham. A family that misidentified him as Abram. Now God wants to call out and call him to his real self, Abraham. Think about this. He is not just leaving it all behind. If he is finding his real self, then he was misidentified this whole time as Abram. And some of us have come from families. And when I say families, I'm not talking about just biological families. I'm talking about we came from families and generation of churches that did not know who we really were, who misidentified us as just saved people, or just sinners saved by grace, or just these little old people, or just a Baptist, or just a Pentecostal, or just a child, or church of God, or whatever it was, they misidentified us, and he says, I no longer call you any of those things. I call you son. So he no longer calls us what we were misidentified with, whether it was biological or whether it was by church family. But he now calls you son, for you to come into sonship. So go with me to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse 19. It says, the entire universe is standing on tiptoe, yearning to see the unveiling of God's glorious sons and daughters. The what is? The entire universe. And it's wanting to see what? The unveiling of God's glorious sons and 
daughters. The earth is not on tiptoe waiting to see the next denomination to take this thing by force. That's not what it's looking for. The earth is not waiting for the next best Sunday service either. Now we have some good things that's happened in this room. But the earth is not groaning for this church service. The earth is on tiptoe waiting for the unveiling of sons and daughters. For against its will... mm, Think about that. Trees didn't ask for the way they are right now. This ground didn't ask for the way it is right now. The apples didn't ask for the way they are right now. Like you get them mealy apples sometimes, they just need to throw them trees away. Like I don't, I don't even know why they sell that, man. But we wouldn't have to worry about it if it wasn't under the curse. For against its will, the universe itself had to endure the empty futility resulting from the consequence of human sin. But now, not but later in the sweet by and by, not whenever he finally comes and burn this thing up, get rid of all these evil people, but now with eager expectation, all Creation longs for freedom from its slavery to decay and to experience with us the wonderful freedom coming to God's children. That's what it's longing for. To this day, we are unaware of the universal agony. We just go out, we just do everything Every day, just living this life, living this life, living this life, living this life. And it says every day we're just living this life unaware of the universal agony, groaning of creation, as if it were in the contractions of labor for childbirth. And it's not just creation. It's what? Not just creation. We who have already experienced the first fruits of the Spirit also inwardly groan as we passionately long to experience our full status as God's sons and daughters, including our physical bodies being transformed. Not just the creation of the world, but we are longing to come into our full status as sons. Canaan was waiting for a son to arrive. Canaan was a cursed land. Canaan was in a famine. It was not a land flowing with milk and honey. But it was waiting on a son to arrive and to say, I am here. And to not draw back because we didn't see what we expected. But to stay the course and because we come into sonship, then so will the land. So what is causing what we see on these outer parts? When we look around, I just walked up to a guy yesterday at the baseball park. He said, man, the world going to hell in a handbasket. Why did he say that? What is naturalized? What's he seeing? You know what I'm seeing? Suns are not rising up. That's why it is the way it is. Suns don't even know that they're suns. Don't even know. Go ahead. 
don't know if you're yeah, I was gonna finish the whole that whole next paragraph, but yeah, yeah. So you think about that. You think about that. Like it's groaning. Like, do we even understand what that means? Because it says it says that they didn't have no choice. Like Canaan, I just want you to get that picture in your mind. Canaan, they didn't have a choice. Noah said, "Curse be Canaan." It was cursed. And the land has been cursed since sin entered the world. Right? I'll curse this land with what? You'll have to work for it. You'll have to, you'll have to strive for it. Thorns, thistles, all those kinds of things. The land is cursed. He took the curse upon him. What did he do? What was on his head? The crown of what? Thorns signifying, saying, I have come to a new place. And you don't have to do that anymore. Now come and redeem the land. Redeem it. I bear the curse already. But you don't know who we, we don't know who we are. We're not walking as heirs. We're still walking as schoolboys under the slave under the under the schoolmaster. And until we kick Ishmael out the camp. And come into a place of understanding that He has called us where we are right now, that we can step into a place where not only we are free because we found our true self, but now the land around us is free also. So I just want you to close your eyes a minute. Think about the place that God has put you. Look at it. What is that place like? Is it a land flowing with milk and honey? Do you believe God put you there? Do you believe God called you there? He didn't call you there so that you run away. He called you there, not just so it would be gut-wrenching and hard either. He called you there so you would find yourself, your true self, your more authentic self. And when you find your true self, then even the land that you're living upon is going to begin to thrive. Just come into a place where you just begin. Let's just start off small. Just start off, to start off small and just begin to, I want you to think about this. Just begin to thank Him. Thank Him that He's called you out of darkness. Placed you in light, His light. And He is calling you to find your authentic self, a child of God. Not just a baby child. We looked at last week. We move on beyond the spiritual milk. He calls you a sons. And he says, I got a new name for you.
That new name is called Beloved. Every time, the two times that we see it, when Jesus comes up out of the water, the heavens open, and, G- and God says, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. How much, how many miracles had he done at that moment? Zero. In perfect intimacy with his son. This is my beloved son. The next time we see that is the transfiguration just before the crucifixion. And at the transfiguration, he says, listen to him. This is my beloved son. And you, Paul says, now have been placed into the beloved. He gave you a new identity. No longer does he call you by your physical name. He calls you beloved. Yeah, but you don't know what I... Hush that. There's no condemning voice. There's no accusing voice anymore. So every time that voice wants to rise up, you just say, shut up, voice. Just shut up. Kick Ishmael out the camp. When you kick him out of the camp, you receive all the fullness that you are in him. All the universe. For this hope of our salvation, but hope means that we must trust and wait for what is still unseen. For why would we need a hope for something we already have? So because our hope is set on what is yet to be seen, we patiently keep on waiting for its fulfillment. This is the hope of our salvation. Salvation means sozo. Whole, set apart, delivered, free. Everything that He has has been given to you. When you come into that place of understanding that, you come into sonship. Maybe sitting there and say, I don't know what to do with this. I don't know how Paul answers it. Holy Spirit takes hold of us in our human frailty to empower us in our weakness. For example, at times, we don't even know what to pray. We don't even know the best things to ask for. You see, the things that we're asking for are carnal most of the time. And to make us feel better or to make our life go better. And he says, we don't even know what to ask for most of the time. But he says, the Holy Spirit does. And the Holy Spirit rises up within you to super intercede on your behalf, pleading to God with emotional sighs too deep for words. And God, the searcher of the heart, knows fully our longings. He understands the desires of the Spirit because the Holy Spirit passionately pleads before God for us, His holy ones in perfect harmony with God's plan and our destiny. So we are fully convinced every detail of our lives, every detail is continually woven together for good. For He knew all about us before we were born. From the beginning, to do what? To share the likeness of His Son. Having determined our destiny, He called us to Himself and transferred His perfect righteousness to everyone He called. 
And those who possess His perfect righteousness, He co-glorified with His sons. There you are. A son. Co-glorified with Him. No longer does He call you servant. Nor did He abandon you as orphans. But He put His Spirit in you so that you cry out, Abba, Father. And from a place of intimacy, He brings you into a place of sonship. So that when you come into a place of sonship, the world comes into alignment as it was supposed to be from the very beginning. Just going to worship a minute. Just worship because of what He has done. It may be some time that you just need to repent right now. And I'm not saying, oh God, God, I'm sorry, 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 sorry. When I say repent, I mean sit here until you get a renewed mind. Metanoia. A renewed mind that says, I'm not just some poor, pitiful nothing. I'm just a nobody. No, He's made you into the image of His Son. If you just need to stand and look into the glory of God until you become that. Paul says we look at it as we look into a mirror. Until we reflect it. Until we look just like it, in other words. I want to stand. just want to receive from Him. Just stand with your arms stretched out. Receiving everything that He has for you today. Receive, receive, receive.